It really feels like things... Look at that first line of the show, and I've got it up already. <laughs> this is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club, and this is your show. It really feels like things are starting to come together for the season, doesn't it? A comprehensive win over Liverpool to get us back into the swing of things after the international break and a week off before a trip to the South Coast and then that eye-catching first leg with Bayern Munich. We'll get into the details of that win over Liverpool shortly, so expect talk of Jack Grealish's perfect minutes, Julian Alvarez's false nining and John Stones' perfect reimagining of the right-back role. But we're not losing sight of the big week ahead. Saints writer Sam Ty will give us the insight into Southampton's season so far, while Bayern fan and journalist Danny Kadir will explain what to expect from the German side on Tuesday. So let's get cracking with this week's Blue Moon podcast. I'm David Mooney. I am joined by the football reporter at The Times, Paul Hurst. Hi, David. And from StatCity.co.uk, Adam Carter. Hello. So, uh, Adam, let's uh, let's start with the uh, with the week as it was. Um, not a bad start, is it? I mean, the, in, in terms of, uh, of a performance, it's very easy to get carried away and say, well, look what they did to Liverpool. But then maybe Liverpool aren't all that at the moment. I was worried before the game, eternal pessimist. So when I knew that Haaland and Foden were out, I was, you know, gladly, you know, accepting a nil-nil draw and just get this one out of the way. But (laughs) so, you you know me, but absolutely perfect afternoon of football. Even from, even considering they scored, it was still, I I was, once I knew how the game was going, I was kind of all right that they'd, it wasn't one of those we've seen this before as much as we have seen it before in the season. When when they scored, I I was very much in the camp of, oh, this again, really. So I was, before the match, I was pessimist. As soon as we, I could see how we were set up and I don't confess to being any tactical tactical genius, but I could see more so to, in the Liverpool game how we were set up and I kind of knew they were there for the taking due to the way we'd set up. So I was quietly confident even at 1-0 down. Yeah. Um, here's a here's a stat, Paul, that uh, kind of sums up City's game, I guess. Uh, it came from, it's like the 83rd minute, 82nd minute it was. Uh, City strung together 66 passes before Grealish's shot. Uh, that's the longest sequence of passes leading to a shot or goal on record in the Premier League. That that just shows what City, like, like how City were knocking the ball around. It does, yeah. That's It's an amazing stat, that, isn't it? Was, was that when the crowd were olaying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I did. I did say I, like, I, I sit next to me moment games, and I did nudge her at that point and say, "You know what? If I was an opposition player and the crowd were Olaying, that Olaying yeah. streak, like, I'd probably get some sort of card, but that Olaying streak yeah. would be broken quite quickly." <laughs> Whenever that happens, I just ex- if I was on the opposition, I would just nobble someone, you know, yeah. just yeah. so that there's a stop in play, just to kind of stop this Olaying from the crowd. It doesn't matter if you get a yellow card, you know, just to yeah. to cut out that kind of. Um, you know that shaming of, of going through so long without touching the ball, uh, but that it, it did sum up City's dominance in the second half. Um, I, I agree with um, Adam. When Liverpool went one nil up, I just thought, oh no, is it is it going to be one of those days where they just kind of spoil the party, Liverpool? But yeah. City in the second half were just utterly dominant, and so many players were at the top of their game. I just thought this is this is the best performance of the season and it's coming just at the right time, you know, when the start of the running. So, you know, there was, if you're Pep Guardiola, there's nothing um, displeasing about that performance. 
Yeah, I mean, in terms of of the performance, though, Paul, um, is it an upturn in form, or are we getting a little bit carried away because of the opponents? Because Leipzig came and had a go, Burnley came and had a go, Liverpool came and had a go. That City haven't played a low block in this in, in this run of form, and I'm just a little bit nervous. I mean, we'll get to Southampton shortly, but I'm a little bit nervous. The next time they come up against a low block, we see that performance again, where they see all of the ball, and it's just a real slog trying to break a team down. Yeah, I, I take your point, and you know certainly um, City play better against teams who, who do play open, and and those three teams that you mentioned there, they are they're not going to sit in and, and play for nil nil, are they? But I th- you look at the quality that Liverpool do have, you know, particularly up front, and you think that's it's, it's a very good job that they've done to keep keep them to one goal. I know, I, I know, we'll come to John Stones later on, uh, but I thought he was he was outstanding, and Leipzig as well. Before that match, I before the second leg, I thought you know they might struggle here. Mm. Um, yeah, <laughs> particularly, <laughs> yeah. And I'm not a city fan. I know most city, city fans are pessimistic by by nature. But after that second half of the first leg, I just thought Leipzig are quite a, quite a decent team here. You know, they they could mm-hmm. really again come and come and spoil the party at the Etihad. But again, city, city were utterly dominant, and I just think. You've got so many players at City who are hitting top form now. You know, Grealish, Haaland, obviously, Mares, uh, Rodri, Stones, Aki, um, and De Bruyne as well. I think since Pep gave um, De Bruyne that rocket in that press conference before before the uh, second leg of the Leipzig game where he said, oh, he needs to do his, his simple things better, um, he's, he's really responded to that. Um, you look at those last three games and he's played out of his skin, De Bruyne. He's he's back to that top level De Bruyne that, that we've seen in previous seasons where he's you know he's really you know got the bit between his teeth, creating chances, um, scoring goals and just being like that arrogant person again. Um uh and I, I think he's been a real driver behind this uh, upturning form. Yeah, um, Adam. In terms of uh, the last few games, something has changed as much as as, as much as I say that the that, that they're against teams that have that have made it. I'm not going to say easy, but easier. Um, yeah. Can you put your finger on on what has changed? Is it as simple as, simple as what Paul says that that everybody's coming to form together? Yeah, I also want to throw into the mix the Cancelo factor and the, to a lesser extent, the Kyle Walker and Americ Laporte uh, factor in that. Pep seems to be playing players who have got happy faces around the dress, dressing room, if we're allowed to coin that phrase again. Um, I think all this has come in, all this return to form, the results, yes, we have to acknowledge the, the opposition that are in front of us, but before the games, like Paul says, you would have said Leipzig and Liverpool were tough challenges. We've overcome them in and some. And I just think it's the personnel that are on the pitch now as well. Um, and I think that's all coincided with this this run of form because you only in this business end of the season you need players who are going to muck in for you and do a job and not be having faces on when they're sat on the bench and I think the players that have got the faces on are sat on the bench and the people that want to do the job are on the pitch and I think we're seeing the fruits of that now. Yeah, well, let's get to some of those players because um, I said at the at the start of the show, Adam, that uh, Jack Grealish uh, had a, a perfect minute. That minute <laughs> being when he he took the ball off Salah's, uh, not the ball off Salah's cross back to Edison, um, and then set up the goal at the other end. And yep. I put it to you that no City player in the history of the club has had a better sixty seconds in a in a game than he did on Saturday. <laughs> Yeah, I'll give you that because it's both ends of the pitch as well. Usually they're just doing something that either they're blocking something or they're creating something, not necessarily both. So the fact he's done that and the fact that we can pinpoint his actions against Spurs in the early part of the season as well as another block that he did is 
his, his energy, his desire. He doesn't just want to rest on his laurels that he's a hundred million pound player and that everything will come to him. He he works hard for it. And that end-to-end transition, finishing with an assist for Alvarez was just, like you say, the perfect happiest minute of the week for him. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's an underrated quality, I guess, isn't it, Paul? That, um, you look at, uh, as Adam says, that, that defensive work because... That moment where he, like everyone loves a, a, a player getting in a crunching challenge, and you saw it against Spurs when he came back and he, he um, as you, in your words, absolutely nobbled Son, um, <laughs> and then he did it to, to Salah at the weekend and, and got back. And it's it, it's kind of like it, it is that acceptance that if you're going to be in this City team, no matter how yeah. much you cost, no matter where you you've come from, no matter the talent you've got, you've just got to work hard. Yeah, we spoke to Manuel Kanji after the match, and he was saying we were asking him about that, and and I said to him, "Oh well, you know, there's a hundred million pound a player might not, might not, not all of them, you know, all of these kind of star players might not, might not do something like that." And he said, "Well, you know, that's what Pep expects of us, what he, what he demands of us, and he's right. So if if you don't do that part of your job, um, you know, you're out of the team, and that's that's why he one of the reasons why he has been in the team so regular season." Um, is the fact that he does track back, he does graft, and he keeps the ball. Obviously, as well, that's his main, that's his main plus point for for Guardiola. But yeah, I just I just thought it was a real kind of turning point in in Grealish's City career on on Saturday. You know, people he has been he has been steadily building up his form over since definitely since the World Cup. You know, he played well against Leeds and Arsenal. Um, I thought. But Saturday was really his best performance, and people are getting you know, it now, aren't they? They get they yeah, get what it's about. Yeah, well, you know, you talk to people. I remember talking to someone at City at the end of last season and saying, "Like, what do you think of Grealish?" And he um, he said, "Like, name one bad game he's had for us." And I I, I genuinely couldn't. I, mm. I couldn't name a, a game where he'd excelled. You know, where he'd uh, where he'd really uh, you know where he'd scored you know hat trick or whatever set up three goals mm. but but he, he he never really had a terrible game and you know people might say oh well he's a hundred million pound player he should he should win you matches but he never really works like that at City regardless <laughs> of your price tag does it you know Bernardo Silva had a terrible first season. Well, not maybe terrible, but I was going to say but a, bit, a, bit, a bit of a write-off. You know, Amara's poor first season. He took a, he took a year for Walker to 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 adapt as well, and you know, Cancelo. Um, you know, he nearly left. He nearly after, left, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, so he's he's not going to click straight away, and I, I think that adaptation period now for Grealish is over, isn't it? Now you're seeing the you know, the arrogant. The arrogance, you know, like we say with De Bruyne earlier, that that kind of feeling that I can control games and and win games for City, and that's what City paid the money for, and you know, he's he's finally getting there. Yeah, I, I can hear everybody listening to this already screaming at us, going, "Why? Why the hell are you talking about Jack Grealish's defensive work to start?" With? So uh, I, I accept it's a little bit of a weird way to do it, but you know, I don't play by the rules. Um, let's have a look at his attacking now, Adam, because uh, I mean, just in terms of his of his numbers, Paul mentioned the World Cup there. Um, before the World Cup, it was eight appearances, one goal, and zero assists. So about five hundred and fifty minutes per goal or assist. Um, yeah. After the World Cup, it's been fourteen appearances. Um, so not nearly double that um three goals five assists suddenly it's 133 minutes per goal or assist um this is again a bit of a hot take but it kind of plays into what Paul was saying a minute ago he's never actually been bad for City but he's now just kind of adding the end product and the numbers is that fair 
Yeah, I think just to elaborate on the numbers a bit, going on to last season, he was scoring at a rate of exactly one every eight games. And then before the World Cup, he was on that kind of one every eight games. He's now, after the World Cup, one every 4.6 games. So he's almost doubled his output um, since the World Cup. And I think it's come with this run of form of being, knowing that he's been, he's almost weirdly like the main man in, in, in a way now in terms of, when you probably know his, his his name's going to be on the team sheet, um, which I don't think we've ever really known that prior to the World Cup. So I think he benefited from uh, coming straight back from the World Cup and getting his his place in the team, and he's kind of running with that now. And I think we're bearing the fruits of that um, now in terms of his his longevity in the team. You kind of know he's going to be there. You know he's reliable. It really came from that Chelsea uh, Stamford Bridge where he came on and kind of embedded his place in the team from that assist to Mares, and he's carried on doing it. And to to almost double your output since the World Cup, you, you, we're going to have to start taking notice soon. I think he's going to have more of those match winning performances now because is it, it, is he seems to have turned, like Paul says, he's not establishing himself in a Guardiola team now. He is in the Guardiola team now. Yeah. He knows what's expected and he's, he's doing it fantastically at the moment. Yeah, I do think, though, we judge on assists sometimes mm. and they're, they're hard to judge by because, I mean, just ask De Bruyne over the last few years, yes. the number of assists he'd have had if, if Sterling and Jesus <laughs> had just put the ball in when they should have done. So it's all well good getting the ball across, but if you if your guy in the middle's ballooning it over all the time or, or scuffing it wide, it doesn't make any difference, does it? Um, yeah. Uh, Paul, do you think he's do you think he's changed how he's playing as well? Is he being more aggressive down the line? Is he driving at defenders more than he used to? Yeah, I, I think so. I think he's been a bit more adventurous. Um, I remember I was sort of taking note. I was watching him on on Saturday, kind of trying to keep an eye on his his performance. And I think it was in the first ten or fifteen minutes he'd made four runs, two down the two down the wing and two inside. And Fabinho clipped him, didn't he? Twice. Yeah. Uh, when he came inside, just because he was too too good for him, too um, skillful for him. But I, I thought the runs down the wing were, were the more interesting part in the fact that he just went for it. You know, he kind of played on instinct and, and went. And just, just tried to attack that wing rather than cutting inside and playing the short pass. So I think he is being more adventurous and that, that comes with, with confidence, doesn't it? And when you see the, the stats, like you said, after the World Cup, you know, that's the reason why his confidence is going going uh, through the roof at the moment that he's and that's that's um, encouraging him to take um, to you know, to do these runs to 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 take more chances and that's um, you know it's ultimately what the what the fans want isn't it I, I wonder, you know, if it's the fact that he's got Ake behind him at that point as well, mm. rather than Cancelo, mm. because like, it used to be pre-World Cup, it, it always seemed to be that he'd take the safe option of just rolling the pass back to Cancelo. Well, he doesn't do that anymore with Ake. Ake gets up inside and, and kind of underlaps him at times, but but Ake's got a lot more defensive responsibilities than Cancelo had. So I wonder if that little tweak has helped him, do you reckon? Yeah, I, I think so. I think you, you're right. Ake's a little bit more reserved, isn't he? He doesn't... Um doesn't get involved in, uh, or certainly Cancelo would, you, you find him a lot further up the pitch, you know, sometimes in like a number 10 role, wouldn't you? Back is a bit more, bit more withdrawn and well, that's one of the reasons why Ake's in, in the team and Cancelo's mm-hmm. been bombed out, isn't it? He's a bit more <laughs> disciplined uh, defensively. So yeah. Let's save yeah. the explosive language about Cancelo and Bayern Munich till, uh, till after this, <laughs> this tie, just in case. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it may, uh, may come back to haunt me that yeah. point, but um but yeah, I, I think they are a good combination. Um, those two, in, in the same way that, that Stones at right back um, and Mares uh, on the wing is is on the right wing is a good combination. You know, Mares has got a lot more space to drive into now, hasn't he? When when he's not got Walker uh, coming up alongside him, so I, th- I think that 
those two fullbacks, oh, those two players, you know, Stones and Ake, they, they are they are his first choice fullbacks at the moment, um, and so I, and I, yeah, I can't see it changing uh, for the rest of the season. Yeah, um, let's talk about the uh, player in the centre, Adam, because um, I, when the team sheet came out, and um, you know, Erling Haaland was wasn't fit, wasn't available. Everybody was a little. I'd say there was a little bit of uh, a bit of nerves in the fan base. Mm-hmm. Um, we know Alvarez is a good player. We know he can. He's, he's got the quality. But this is Liverpool at home, and you want your big players available for it. Um, in the end, nothing to worry about, was there? <laughs> I think what that's answered now, and this could come back to bite me, that if we lost Harlan for a period of time, it would be. It looks like. It looks like it would be okay in terms of we have another way of playing that we're more familiar with and that's with a false nine and he's kind of the perfect false nine in that Guardiola setup however once we learn how to play with I mean Haaland's 42 goals already with us not knowing how to play with him so imagine when we do know how to play with him and I think it's a lazy argument to say Haaland's made us worse because I definitely don't believe that's the case but I think we now have two patterns of play one with Haaland and one without and the one without didn't do too bad every day of the week I'd rather have Haaland on the pitch just for how he can make something happen out of nothing and when things aren't going your way you might need that. But I think in the context of the game and in the, in the context of Alvarez being the player that replaced Haaland, so you, you need to strip Haaland out of the game for now and just say the game we played with Alvarez at the top of the pitch co- uh, contributed to that scoreline and the, and the way the game played out. Um, that's not to say we wouldn't have battered Liverpool with Haaland. I'm just saying in context, Alvarez was the perfect f- focal point for that way that we set up on Saturday. Yeah, it's it's interesting, Paul, because I saw a lot of discussion after the game on Saturday that uh, that again turned back to the well, a city better without Haaland, and like my answer to that is, well, they just played a different way without him. So, uh, what what happens if you play that exact same system with Haaland as a false nine? Maybe they maybe they win six one. What happens if you play with Alvarez not as a as a false <laughs> nine but as a as an out and out striker as Haaland would? Maybe they win two one. It's like you, you can't. It's impossible to judge and. I'm wondering how much of a, of a factor actually whether Haaland or Alvarez is the is the player there is is um, is a part of this, or whether it's again simply just coming back to that point at the start, the type of team that they're playing against. They're playing against a team that gives them space in Liverpool. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's good sort of. It's always a good thing to have two or three different options in terms of how you play and and um, and who plays up front, isn't it? So keep people I- guessing, yeah. Oh well, well. Remember, well, it's, I don't think I've picked a, a correct um, predictive eleven for <laughs> for Man City during Pep's time. You know, it's, it's that kind of um, uh, uh, it's a bit of a lottery in it. But do, I, the, do the desks still make you do that? Because it seems oh, like an entirely yeah. fruitless exercise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I always hate it when they put it in the paper and say probable. I was like, well, mm. you know, <laughs> probable possibles a, a reflection. You know? <laughs> but um, uh, sorry, coming back to your point. I, um, Alvarez, he's the way that he played the game on on Saturday is the is the false nine. That is his that is his best. Um, that's the best way to to play him, I think. You know, and everyone else moving around. He's so fluid that front three, isn't it? It was like it's kind of like old times, wasn't it? Where you got you know Grealish popping up in the middle and Alvarez on the left, and then you know all, all interchanging. Um, but I, I do think it's he kind of. I think he's better playing without Haaland, Alvarez. I remember that Chelsea game in the FA Cup earlier this season where, where Alvarez started up front and he was brilliant. Uh, I know Chelsea were terrible at that point and you know, largely still are. But um, <laughs> um, 
but I, I, I do think that playing him as a as a right winger or as a number ten just doesn't really work. Um, he is like he's a false nine, isn't he? He's, he's a, he, if he plays up front on his own, that's his that's the best way to to play him. But he's such a selfless player that he will play on the wing and he will play as number ten and he will graft for the team and he will set um, goals up as well. And that's that is equally important to Guardiola as him scoring goals. And he scored thirteen goals, I think, this this season, which which isn't bad, is it? Considering how how little he's um, uh, how few starts he's had. Yeah, and it's it's it's, it's difficult to not look. I mean, it's nif- difficult to not frame it alongside Haaland as well. And it's like Haaland has mm. just changed the game with how with his with his numbers. And yeah, like, if, yeah. if this was any other season, we'd be looking at a, a, a great first season for Alvarez, wouldn't we? Yeah, and he's when he, you know if he does come on, it, you know it'll come on for like twenty minutes or fifteen minutes. He's asking a lot, isn't it? To despite City's you know the the chances that he can create for strikers, he's still asking a lot for him to score in that short amount of time. And the number of times he's done it this season, where he's come off the bench and he's just like played for ten minutes, fifteen minutes, and he scored. Just think, right? Yeah, you know, it's he's, he's he shows that he's very switched on, and he's clearly like watching watching the game as it develops on the bench and. He, he strikes me as a bit of a student of the game, and that's you know Pep loves that kind of personality, doesn't he? As well, so yeah, I think he's um, he's a brilliant. Um, I was going to say squad player, but that's awful to say of a world Cup player, <laughs> isn't it? But he's a he's a great option to have, and you know I was I was at Old Trafford um, last night um, watching the the Brentford game, and you know look at the options that United have got on the bench compared to City, and it's just. Um, you know, they're, they're like chalk and cheese, really. You've got Veghorst or Julian Alvarez. And, <laughs> you know, that's that's why, you know, he's played such a big role for City, for City this season, Alvarez. And, you know, that's why Pep likes him that much. You can listen to the show ad-free by joining our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. I mean, Adam. The the other thing to to mention here as well is I, it's difficult, I guess, for Alvarez at times, uh, as Paul says, not playing a huge number of minutes. But you think back to earlier in the season, and you know the the number of times where we've talked about all oh, that they're not finding Haaland and they're not finding Haaland against against teams with low blocks. Mm. I mean, if they're not finding Haaland, they ain't finding Alvarez in these situations either. <laughs> Exactly. I think Alvarez is more dynamic in terms of the roles he can play against the different uh, oppositions. I think Haaland's going to give you a direct, absolute monster up front, where Alvarez has got that low centre of gravity. He's got the, it can link up play, although, you know, you'd rather him at the end of a, a passage of play than starting it. But I think that's the way he kind of gives more options in terms of the t- style of the opposition. But we surely we need to get away from worrying what the opposition are doing and just absolutely play our best team, whether he's in it or not. But yeah. I think he, Alvarez just gives you a bit more option in terms of the way he can play. Yeah. Um, Paul, you mentioned John Stones before. Let's talk about him now um, because uh, the full-time whistle went. And I know, I understand why everybody picked Jack Grealish as man of the match. But for me, it was John Stones. Um, he was just sensational. Yeah, he was. And do you know, that there's a moment in the second half, I think it was the second half, where... Um, he passed the ball out to De Bruyne. He was like through uh, in between two Liverpool players, like on the volley, and it was like a forty-yard pass. And I, I literally went, "Wow!" And, you know, <laughs> I, it, was, it was quite embarrassing for the people sat around me and, uh, <laughs> and myself. But you know, it was an incredible pass. And I just thought that is a that is the pass of a guy who's really got a lot of confidence um, um, at the moment. And 
you know, for, like I said earlier, he's he's the first choice right back now, isn't he? And he plays that role so well, just took it into midfield. Um, um, he, you know, he's played there. I think he played there for England once. Um, and he's he's just that is he, he looks really comfortable there. He's one of the best best passers at the at the club, which is you know saying a lot, isn't it? Um, so, but I I just thought he he, he performs that role perfectly. Um, um, so yeah, I'd, I've I've been very impressed with him and. I, to, to be honest, I, I did. I turned to my colleague Jonathan Northcroft at the, the final whistle. I was like, "Who's your man of the match?" Because I was like, um, and I was doing the ratings, and I was um, and I about who to give it to. And we we both named between us about six players who, who could have <laughs> given it. <laughs> and I I used to went for Mares, but then I thought after all, oh, you, you you idiot, you should have given it to Grealish. Um, but you know, Stones is a great shout. You know, De Bruyne. Yep. You know, he played very well. I thought Aki played well as well. Gundogan. Um, Alvarez was involved in two of the goals, um, yeah. so you could have picked any of them. So, I, but yeah, I'd, I can you know Stones is you know is a valid um, uh, you know valid candidate for that man of the match award because he was so good. Yeah, Adam. In terms of a of a dynamic, it's it's mm. it's weird hearing Guardiola talk about this because Sam Lee's mentioned this uh, recently because he asked Guardiola specifically about uh, the the fullback options. Um, along the lines of, well, now you've got Ake doing what he does and John Stone stepping inside. Mm. Um, are, you, are you actually going to be focusing on the fullbacks in the summer? Do you, do you want to do you want to get any of those any of the options to get down the line? And Guardiola was mm. like, yes, we absolutely need fullbacks that can get up and down the line. But in yeah. the meantime, it's been an ingenious solution yeah, to a problem it, that probably shouldn't have existed. Yeah, it's, it's not a bad sticking plaster, is it? I think you, you mentioned like how dynamic Stones is in breaking those lines. When he when we're in possession of the ball, obviously we go to that back three. Stone steps into midfield and Gakpo didn't have a clue where Stones was. If he if he goes to close the back three down, the ball gets popped into Stones and he can start the attack. If he drops deep, then then we can build around their, their press. So Stones stepping into that position just makes us so press resistant. It's ridiculous. And then you've got then got either Fabinho or Henderson that had to come and try and you know interject Stones. And then you've got the ball through to De Bruyne and Gundogan. So he's almost he's like a, a one-man like transition in terms of you give the ball to stones he's always going to find himself in that in between the lines and start the next attack it was almost as if he was invisible to the liverpool play, players he was that good at it and it just seemed to happen every single time and he was influential with like most of the moves of the match really yeah that third goal um mm. there's, a, there's a video going around on on twitter about his involvement in it and it's it's just like every every third pass is a pass into john <laughs> stones and then you look up but the, but the ball has moved over, over every single yes. area of the pitch it's got like yeah. left wing to right wing to yeah. the fullbacks and it's it's like every third pass is just going into stones's feet like how is he there again yeah it's so bizarre <laughs> I, I listened to uh alistair Mann's commentary around that point and he the exasperation in his in his voice that he's had to say john stones again because he was literally every other pass was through him so that really uh, kind of illuminated that for me he was just yeah heavily involved and such so weird for a, a right back to have that much dictation of the play you know he was literally pulling the strings in the second half and it was quite embarrassing from a Liverpool point of view to he, they didn't even want to engage because I think in the first half they realized between the four of them you know Gakpo, Salah, um, Henderson and Fabinho that none of them could pick him up what's the point in even using your legs to pick him up and just they, 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 
he just made them give up, really. It was absolutely bizarre. Yeah, there was some absolute toast going on all over that pitch, yes. wasn't there, at times? <laughs> um, uh, Paul, it's it's absolutely wild as well to think for me that, I mean, think back, we're, we're now, what, April 2023? Um, three years ago, his place at City looked dead and buried. He, he was on his way out. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I remember that summer thinking that, you know, he's he, he's gone. You know, and I just thought he'll end up at Arsenal or, you know, so, somewhere... Arsenal or Spurs, a team like that, because he's probably not got it. And then, you know, since then he's been incredible. And he's, you know, there's Laporte and Diaz. He's managed to muscle his way on you know, to break that partnership up, hasn't he? And you know, he's he's a he's you know he'll he'll start every yeah you know, if he's fit he'll start every game from now until the end of the season, won't he? Um, yeah. So I, yeah, he's he, he's the best defender um, in that squad at the moment, and. Uh, yeah, I've, I was just thinking about Laporte earlier. You know, he's just, he's just a bit of a an also a bit of an afterthought at the moment, isn't he? I think he's only started three games, three Premier League games this um, this year. So, um, for a player who was so in favour with Guardiola to be, you know, to be knocked out of the team by, you know, he takes some doing that, doesn't it? Because that that Laporte Diaz partnership was seemed to be Pep's, you know, seemed to be there for quite a long time. You know, set in stone really. Um, you know, left foot, right foot, both decent passes of the ball. Uh, so he's broken that up, and and, and he's you know, he's playing very effectively at right back as well. So he's he's indispensable for for Guardiola at the moment. Yeah, Adam, I uh, I sent this to you the other night, but um, I'm I, I I'm absolutely astounded by this. That uh, actually the way City set up and they play at the moment, mm. it's, it's straight out of the 1920s and the and the 1910s uh, in the old sort of WM formation that that teams used to play, and it's all because John Stone steps into to midfield alongside uh, alongside Rodri to make that that box. And it's uh, it's just another example, I guess, of um, of I, I don't know if Guardiola has learnt from the past or if he's just kind of arrived there independently. But uh, you know, football's cyclical, and John Stones is a big part of this revolution. John Stones are in twenties. Yeah, <laughs> time traveller, John Stones. Yeah. This is yeah. the second yeah. coming of John Stones, <laughs> yeah. reincarnated to play um, as a as a central midfielder. Yeah, as a halfback, yeah. as they used to call it. Um, yeah. Paul, let's uh, let's finish with uh, this game. On uh, I want to touch on the Guardiola stuff. Uh, with the uh, equalising goal because uh, to my mind uh, the entire football world seems to have mm. collectively lost its mind over what is respectful and what's mm. not respectful at the moment. Mm. Um, I, I Ultimately my position on this is yeah there was probably something like like, like Guardiola might have upset someone but he didn't so alright let's move on. Yeah I, and I can I can see why it's newsworthy with my journalistic hat on here because <laughs> you know it's because it is... <laughs> It is a Liverpool player, and you know the cameras focused on it quite a lot. And the celebrations were wild, and um, it just—it's one of those. You know, I hate to sound like a like I went through a VAR review here, but when you slow it down, draw the lines on it. Yeah, <laughs> like when you slow it down, it looks even worse because it like it looks as if it's going on for like ten seconds, but it wasn't. It was just you know, a couple of seconds, and he shake his hand. He shook his hand, didn't he, as well? And Melo's hand, you know, and he went off. And so I, I can see why, you know, because the cameras were focused on it, I can see why it is a was a talking point, was a question that had to be asked in the press conference after. But I, I, I wasn't outraged by it at all. I, I just yeah. thought it was quite, it was done sort of, not even tongue-in-cheek. It was just, you know, they were walking past him when he was celebrating a goal. I mean, what's he supposed mm-hmm. to do, sort of? Just go and celebrate in private, you know, sit on the, yeah. you know, go back to the bench and, you know, hug um, one of the assistants. I mean, 
it's just oh, the, the I, thing yeah. is, like with the, with the, with the energy that always goes into this game, and the the way the two clubs have been going at each other in the past four or five years or so, like if if the two teams wanted to make something of it, they really could have done. Do you know? Do you know yeah. what I mean? They, 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 yeah, if, yeah. if there was going to be a diplomatic incident over this, there could have. It's it's really easy for it to have happened, and it just didn't. So yeah, and I I think um yeah. Klopp was asked about it afterwards, I think, and he, he just well, he just wasn't bothered, was he? And he, he and I, I, well, if he was, he didn't didn't say so publicly. But um, it's I, not I agree like him either, you. is it? So well, <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, he didn't even bite on the Rodri, you know, red card. Not really, did he? Um, I thought it was quite funny. His quote said, "Well, even if he was sent off, we would have probably lost." You know, <laughs> a, 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 you know, quite magnanimous, really, from him. But um, but I, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's this this fixture is um, you know, it's got a bit of. A lot of bad blood running between the the clubs at the moment, so it mm. could have all kicked off. But I thought it was what two seconds of a celebration. So mm. I mean, if Liverpool aren't kicking off about it like you said, David, then I, I don't I don't see it as a as a particularly controversial um, thing that he did. Yeah, Adam, can you think of anything more disrespectful? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm just I'm just thinking like Bernardo not clapping hard enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there was one point, because it happened right in front of me, where Ake waved an imaginary card. We've not thought about that oh, for wow. years. Yeah. Mm. You know, you know, one for me that gets me is when a football club's crest is printed on the floor near the pitch yeah. and players oh, and they don't walk, walk over, over it. it yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, that is, like, obviously, I loved it when Haaland walked round our one when he came for Dortmund, but I wouldn't have judged him if he walked over it either. Like, it, the floor is there to be walked on. Yeah, but it's just of, a floor. Yeah, yeah. The ab- collectively mind loss when that happens is, is amazing. Yeah, yeah, so that's what I would like to add to that list. <laughs> not, it's not the Sistine Chapel, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like it's a grave, is it? You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Walk around that. Yeah, a saint's yeah. buried there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There. Yeah. Uh, right. So let's look ahead to the games coming up. We'll start with the trip to St Mary's. Uh, I've been speaking to Sam Ty from the Ranks FC podcast and the writer for the Southampton magazine to find out what's been going wrong for Saints this season, starting with last weekend's loss at West Ham. Sunday was appalling. And it was uh, a real kick in the teeth, to be honest with you, because this is the sort of game that you, you target when you're down there and you you really want to be able to to make good ground on your rivals. And you know what? Southampton have actually done a relatively good job up until this point of uh, of, of getting points out of these games. They beat Leicester uh, four game weeks ago. And of course, the only win that Nathan Jones got was against Everton at Goodison Park. So... Yes, all right, Southampton struggled to pick up points against the big guns for obvious reasons, but sort of the teams in and around them, it it hasn't been as bad. And yet Sunday, West Ham, man, it was tough. It's tough to watch because it's the same issues and same mistakes plaguing them, which we can get to. Uh, That's from a defensive standpoint, but it's tough to watch as well because for the life of me, it's difficult sometimes to see how on earth this team is going to score a goal. And that sounds weird because, you know, week before the international break, they got three against Tottenham um, and, and they have they have tended to score under Ruben Sayers. But with Shea Adams injured, man, the attack just looks really anemic. And the last thing you want to be thinking heading into a game against Man City, where you know the chances are going to be at a premium, you know that a clinical edge is going to be required if you are going to get something out of it, if at all. You don't want to be going into that situation thinking, oh... A bit, we're a bit light on goals, aren't we? A bit light on chances. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what's, I mean, what have been the issues? I mean, the last time we spoke was ahead of uh, the, the League Cup tie, uh, where, I mean, in the end, Southampton were vastly the better team and, and deserved to go through. Yeah. 
Um, what's what's changed since then? Has anything changed, or is that the outlier well, of that game? Yeah, no, that was more of an outlier. So, I mean, the the, the real issues that I'm I'm referring to here, and first and foremost, defensively, is set pieces. Now, Southampton are very strong from set pieces offensively because James Ward-Prowse scores free kicks for fun. But defending them has been a, a, a an Achilles heel for them this year. And once again, on Sunday, the game against West Ham, a very low quality affair from both sides, I have to say. Though it was 19th versus 20th, so what do you expect? It was settled by a header from a free kick. And Southampton just can't seem to wrap their heads around these set play scenarios. It's It's been really tough. I think they're on their third set piece coach of the year. Um, that's obviously down to the fact that they've changed managers twice. I don't know if it's confusion. I don't know if it's just simply that the personnel aren't necessarily very good. I also suspect maybe there's a bit of a downward spiral effect on these things, you know, where you know it's a weakness, so you're worried about it, so you become worse at it. You understand what I mean? I think yeah, Leicester yeah. got it. Leicester got it last year, where every corner seemed to go in. It becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, and Southampton are really struggling from this point of view at the moment. Now, I guess with City coming to town, not that they're bad at set pieces, but it's not it's not the biggest side in the world, is it? So it's not necessarily like West Ham is obviously a massive problem when it comes to set pieces. And it was quite predictable that the game was kind of settled that way. Not as much of a concern for Man City, probably more concerned about some of the other qualities the team has. However, if you can't defend set pieces, which is essentially your bread and butter, you are going to struggle, right? It's just it's just a very simple fact and they sort of fail on a very basic level there. And then the other issue in attack is that a common theme under Ruben Sayers, the new manager for the rest of the season, is that he's really struggled to get anything really out of the starting attackers that he chooses. So some of the selections have been a bit quizzical and there were some eyebrows raised on Sunday when Mohamed El Yunusi was selected over Kamaldine Suleimana and Sekumara was selected up front alongside Theo Walcott. I think he had to try and replace Shea Adams with two players there because one wouldn't quite cut it. Um, they don't offer enough on the ball. So when Southampton do get the ball in attacking areas, they really struggle to do anything with it, you know? Creatively, really struggling with that cast of players. But just impact. You know, when you feel like a player has yet to get into the game. You get you get that very strong feeling, don't you, sometimes? Oh, he hasn't really made an impact yet. Well, you shouldn't be saying that about all three of them after half an hour. That means something's gone very <laughs> wrong. And unfortunately, this has happened a few times under Sayers. I'm actually a big fan of what he's generally done so far in transforming the team. They've got a lot better under him. But these two issues, starting selection of forwards, not being able to get their teeth into the game and defending set pieces, as a combination, is really hurting them. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, the way you're speaking seems seems quite bleak, really. Um, given, I mean, it's four points um, that that Southampton are, are are in the relegation zone by bottom of the table, but four points from safety. Um, what what are you expecting in terms of a of a survival fight? Can they do it? If you'd have asked me this question before Sunday, I would have been much more optimistic and upbeat about this. But Sunday did really, really feel tough to take. Now, it's important not to get too swept up in that because ultimately Southampton could shock the world and beat Manchester City this weekend. And then off the back of that, most of the teams around them might well lose. And then it's kind of as you were, isn't it? It's funny. We build, we build these games like Southampton, West Ham up. We build them up and we build them as, as, as potentially defining. And yet 
the following week, it can almost go back to as you were. And that's kind of indicative of just how many games are left in the season. It's still quite a lot of time for Southampton to save themselves. So despite the issues, if you've got nine games left, like that's, that is enough time to pick up and make up the difference on four points. And under Ruben Sayers, they've been a lot better. They're much more motivated. The tactical instructions are clearer. They've kind of gone back to a bit of Ralph hasn't hustle ball, to be honest with you, straight away from it, tried to leave it, kind of gone back to it. It's kind of working, but not to the extent that it should, that, that they need it to, because the quality is basically lacking. Um, I'm not ruling it out still, but man, I mean, there were, <laughs> it's weird how one weekend can do this to you because on Friday, Southampton were quite close to Palace in the table. Now they're seven points off. The Blue Moon Podcast. If City won't let you down on the pitch, let us let you down off it instead. You mentioned Ralph there as well and a, and a return a little bit to, to his style of football. Um, I was listening to um, 606 on, on Five Live uh, over the weekend and there was a Southampton fan who had basically made the case that had Southampton not sacked him in the first place, they'd be in a much better position now. Has part of the problem this season been that chopping and changing throughout the season? I mean, we, we when we talked in January, you, you were talking about how uh, it was really difficult to see what Nathan Jones was trying to achieve. And... Mm. I mean, in terms of a change to Ruben Sellers, he said things have changed a little bit and, and, and the progress is being made a little bit there. Um, it, it, does this all stem back to that original decision, do you think? So I don't think that the decision to fire Ralph Hasenhutl was unjustified. And if you went back and did it again, I think it would be fine. That's not the issue. The issue is the complete and utter waste of time in between Ralph Hasenhutl and Ruben Sayers. So basically, the, it's the entire Nathan Jones reign. And it did only last, I think, eight league games, of which they lost seven. So that's a lot of ground lost. I mean, that's like quarter of the season. So to throw that away is, is criminal. But it's the whole World Cup break as well. You know, it's they got him in one game before the World Cup break, lost to uh, Liverpool at Anfield. Fine, is what it is. Lost 3-1, respectable. And then spent the entire World Cup break with him they lost five weeks there of preparation with him that could have been somebody else. And they came out and they looked absolutely dreadful. Now, they did win a couple of cup games, which Nathan Jones kept referencing in his win percentage, but didn't go down very well with the fans. And ultimately, it's that it's that time, it's that sunk time that has really hurt Southampton here because they weren't cut adrift, never been cut adrift. They weren't cut adrift under Ralph Hasenhut at all. They picked up eight points from Ruben Sayers' first six games, which for a team on the bottom of the table is not bad. It's really the bit in the middle, the lost time and the confusion over that whole Nathan Jones reign of terror that has really, really come back to bite them here. I mean, look, again, there are there's a healthy number of games left. This can still be salvaged. But if they go down and they look back and they try to figure out where it went wrong, it's that bit in the middle. Yeah. So uh, with attention then turning to uh, St. Mary's for Saturday evening, um, how do you think uh, Southampton will approach this one? Because uh, there's been a, they've had points off City in the past by being really brave and aggressive. And yeah. it's, I, I'm not, I'm not sure if that's Southampton's general style, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, I mean, I, I talked about how they've gone, kind of gone back to the, the Hasen Huttle style to an extent, which should serve them well in a game against Manchester City, as you say, Saints have have kind of spoiled your day a few times in the past under Ralph. That they've 
they've been a very difficult opponent for you, even if you've come out on top, even if you have, it's it's often been very difficult. Um, so going back to that sort of style probably will help a little bit. Um, the the players that I mentioned, or one of the players that I mentioned in the West Ham game, uh, El Yunusi, who not very creative at all. You know, I would oh, I would always question him starting against a team like West Ham because they'll give you the ball and they'll ask you to break you down and he's not going to be able to do that. But El Yunusi was fielded because he understands pressing triggers and he's very smart and switched on tactically with regard to transitions and defensive stuff. Like, that's his strength. So in this kind of game, if Southampton are going to play a bit bolder and a bit braver, he's actually the kind of player that can enjoy this kind of game. He can have an impact there in terms of turning the ball over and, and trying to spark transitions. So this team is better built. This is going to sound ridiculous, but you know what I mean. Better <laughs> built to get a result out of Man City than it is West Ham. Because West Ham just let him have the ball and they don't know what the hell to do with it. Whereas City will play and force Southampton to be on the edge a little bit. And you never know. You never know what might happen. You might get a little bit fortunate. The problem, of course, is Che Adams is injured and without him the attack does not really function that well. And playing at home isn't an advantage either because St. Mary's, as you can probably understand, is not a particularly happy place right now. Yeah, uh, you mentioned Chai Adams' injury. Uh, James Ward-Prowse is the next uh, uh, goal scorer that Southampton have uh, with nine goals to, to Chai Adams' is 10. Uh, how many of those are free kicks? Is he? Is, is it basically, <laughs> keep, keep, don't give a guy a free kick on the edge of the box and you'll be all right? I think I think I would estimate that six or seven are free kicks. Genuinely, uh, thinking about it, there was one early in the season opening day against Tottenham wasn't a free kick. The one, the second one against Everton, the first one against Everton was not a free kick. The majority are, and yeah, obviously it's like Plan A when you play against Southampton is don't give away free kicks within thirty yards because it's. I mean, his 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 hot streak has dipped, but because there was a spell like towards the the New Year period where like almost it seemed like every single one was either went in or hit the bar. Um, that's sort of dipped off a little bit, but I would dress that up as he's due a goal. <laughs> he's due one. <laughs> so watch out in that respect. And you can see, actually, it's quite funny. Like you can see when teams give away free kicks in that area, the look on their face and the look on the, the, the camera always pans to the manager and the manager's like, you idiot. <laughs> like beyond the usual level of frustration about all oh, that's in a dangerous area. When it's against the Saints, everyone loses their minds. It's really funny to watch. So yeah, plan A is don't do that. And you're about 85% of the way to a win, unfortunately. But this is the reality, right? City are a top team and Southampton are at the bottom. It uh, reminds me of those days. Uh, do you remember when teams used to uh, intentionally put the ball behind against Stoke instead of giving them a throw-in because of, uh, of the long yes. throws of um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Rory Dillard? Corners better. Yeah. Corners yeah. better. Give, give away a corner. It, it makes more sense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in terms of uh, of kind of uh, overall performance, we've talked about uh, how Southampton have, have stifled City in the past. Um, what? Who are the players that uh, that are likely to cause City problems with uh, with Jay Adams injured and uh, and um, uh, Ward Prowse obviously on the free kicks. Yeah, so the, I mean the way I see it on this um, with against City, you're not going to get a lot of the ball. A lot of your attacks are going to be of of a more direct nature, probably transitional, but certainly direct. You know, not stringing together too many passes and probably emanating from deep in your area. So you're going to be countering and breaking away. So with that respect, you know Southampton do have a player that is ideal for that. It's Kamaldine Sulimana, the Ghanaian winger, who hasn't exactly produced yet in terms of goals and assists but he does he does play some nice football man and he's a he's a real pleasure to watch and his ability to skip away from a tackle or two or three and carry the ball over a longer distance is is going to be really important here as a as a kind of transitional threat so 
I don't know what they're going to do up front because Onoachu, I'm sure you've seen him. He's like six foot seven, six foot eight. He's humongous. They might try and use him as a foil and hold the ball up, try and pass it off to Sulemana and have him run. They might consider that Onuachu is, is basically too small, too small, sorry, and too immobile to really have too much success here. And they might try and go a little bit nippier with maybe Theo Walcott again. So I'm not really sure how it will pan out, but it feels like the game script sets itself up very nicely for Sulemana to basically power Southampton forward. And he should play off the left wing. Um, and that's probably your impact player that you're looking at. Otherwise, and you'll know him, of course, Romeo Lavia. Yeah, I was going to ask I'm, about him. I like, like, mate, he's he's outrageously good. Like, he is ridiculous. He's probably, again, this is going to sound odd because Ward-Prowse is clearly important. Southampton cannot play without Lavia. It just, it, they just can't do it. They can't progress the ball. They can't hold on to the ball. They can't come close to winning a midfield battle. And they can't actually put together sort of sustained periods of, of possession or, or pressure. He is absolutely central to everything. And when he doesn't play, they cannot function. Sometimes they don't function when he does. <laughs> but <laughs> if he's not there, they are not going to be at the races. It's it's an incredible sort of set of compliments to pay to such a young player. But he is ridiculously good. And if you have a vacancy in midfield, then maybe consider using that buyback clause in the summer because yeah. he will be unreal. Yeah. Well, Sam, uh, we've got the charity back coming up. Um, I like putting guests on the spot. So uh, what would be your uh, your best guess of a score prediction for this? I am going to say predictably that Man City will come out on top. I think they'll win 2-0. I'd love to say 2-1, but I'm going to go for 2-0. And the reason the scoreline isn't larger is because I think you'll start to turn an eye towards that Champions League fixture on Tuesday, isn't it? It comes it around quite yeah. quick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to overlook this game, but ultimately it definitely isn't the most important thing happening in the next seven days. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was Sam Tai talking to me about Southampton. Um, Adam, Southampton beat City in the League Cup, so uh, give me some confidence. Why will this one be different? Because <laughs> the lineup won't be absolutely batshit crazy this time, I'm hoping. <laughs> um, obviously, the League Cup is used to give players minutes to try different things. We were in a bit of a sticky patch around the time we played Southampton the last time. It's never an easy game going there. Um, I never look forward to it. Half five on a Saturday night is always kind of a, a graveyard shift. Um, but this time it will be different because he's going to play his best team and we're in full of confidence. We know what we've got to do. We play before Arsenal in the next three games. So we've just got to do our job. That was the same case last weekend and we did it fine. So uh, the, the lineup and the context of the, of the game uh, is why it'll be different this time. Okay, uh, because Paul, uh, it's going to be. It's probably. I'm. I'm not going to second guess Southampton here, but I'm. I. I it's probably going to be a low block that City face. Um, <laughs> so, is it going to be as easy to just step through the lines and and create chances? Yeah, I think, I, I think you're right. I think they'll they'll have to. You know, they'll be playing against a completely different different prospect, won't it, this weekend? Um, I think looking back to that game last season, they should have they should have won that one as well, shouldn't they? Really, it was just that. It was just a, a case of, of missed chances. I think Sterling had a couple that he missed last year uh, from memory. Um, 
So they are, yeah, they are there to be beaten, aren't they? I think you look at the league table from the bottom for a reason, aren't they? I, yeah. I, 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 even the most <laughs> pessimistic City fans surely mm. can't either can't see this um, yeah, going any other way. Um, I, they don't really score many goals, do they? That's 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 their main problem. So it's um, you know it'll give City a chance to you know get stones on the ball early, as we were saying, and I think he. Like Adam said, that that League Cup game was just an anomaly, wasn't it? It was, yeah. it was a crazy, crazy team. Phillips was, even Phillips didn't play that well, apart from that, that early shot. Um, um, you know, everyone had a bad day that day. De Bruyne mm. was terrible, wasn't he? When he came out <laughs> in the second half. Um, so yeah, that was a very much a one-off. So I think you know City shouldn't have any problems this time. Yeah, Southampton have caused City problems in the past, Adam, but it's been, it's been. I mean, a season for Southampton, let's say. The, the things have changed quite a lot for them. Um, and ultimately, as Paul says, they are bottom of the table for a reason. So, like, it's very easy to sit here and go, yeah, but this, this, and this. Ultimately, you know, 99 times, 99 times out of 100, City just win this game, don't they? Yeah, we, we do well against sides who are start the day bottom of the table as well, statistically. Um, oh, so... I forgot you might have looked that up. Go on. <laughs> no, I've not. Annoyingly, I've not got it to hand, but I do, I do know... Um, that you know we're favoured for a reason, and I think if I know you can't play the game in context, but in, if we play the game in context hypothetically, it's second versus bottom. It's a team in form versus a team out of form. Um, I mean, they, I think Southampton have played more than their rivals around them, and they're still not managing to catch up. So it should be a a, a formality. I don't think it's going to be a walkover in terms of the way. We're not going to romp to victory, but I, I do think we'll 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 become victorious at the, at the end of it. But it's not going to be it, it easy. Might, might be one of those that's not an easy watch. You mean? Yeah, we'll look at Palace the other week. We went there. It wasn't an easy game, but we won one nil. We got the job done, and we know what we've got to do now. And I think when City know what they've got to do, and there's no theatrics and there's no other outcomes, we just get the job done. And there's no distractions in in this storyline now. Literally, we're chasing Arsenal. We need to catch them, and you do that by beating Southampton in a way yeah there is a, a, a kind of thing about that isn't there Paul that it's like now that the final international break of the season's gone and you, you can kind of see the run in and you know kind of exactly how many games you've got left with you know potential cup competitions that sort of thing it, it, it's almost like City at this point in the season shift into the next gear and you, you kind of you, you look at it now. I mean, you, I think I think you mentioned it earlier about the the players that Guardiola is likely to pick. Um, they've had a week off. There's no need for rest or, or rotation. And anyway, even if there were, he does this thing at this stage of the season where he goes, "Well, the guys that help me, they'll play." So that it's kind of like City are just getting into the mood right now. Yeah, and it's, I think you're right. It's um, you know that he will just play his, his best team. He won't, for example, you know. Uh, rest Rodri and play Calvin Phillips on on Saturday. Really, it'll be it'll be the the you know the same maybe the same team plays on Saturday. They'll play they'll play against Bayern Munich. Um, it's all about rhythm. He always talks about rhythm, doesn't he? And, and momentum. Um, so yeah, I, and like I said earlier, with, with so many players um, playing in good form at the moment, if you take them out of the team for a couple of matches, you know, you risk losing that. Yeah. So. I think other than maybe bringing Bernardo into the team, I can't really see him changing it. Um, like I said earlier, Laporte just doesn't come into the equation much at the moment, does he? So even he probably won't start. So Laporte, Laporte's an interesting one. He's, he's one I could see coming in for Southampton, um, just on the on the back of the fact that Ake and, and Diaz have played a lot lately. 
Yeah, he, yeah. I, I think I don't know. It doesn't just doesn't seem to trust him at the moment, does he? I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I say I think he, he kind of just just settles for the same team, unless he you know unless he thinks that Ake is tired. Um, he'll you know he could he could rest him, um, but even then you know he might bring Rico Lewis in. Um, so, um, but yeah, I, I agree with you that this is this stage of the season. City just kind of. Go into sort of game mode, don't they? Just kind of right, right. You know, we've got to. We know what the tar- you know target is. Uh, we've got to win all our matches, and then they just, just seem to do it, don't they? Uh, obviously, it might not be enough this season for them to to win the league. Um, but I do do agree that they they've got this that kind of mentality where um, you know that that winner's mentality, that winning mentality, that will help them um, in in the final stretch. Yeah, the only times it hasn't happened is um, that season where Liverpool won the title and it was it was over already. Um, yeah, that season where well wasn't it? yeah, already, that's it, and yeah. that season where City had already won it and had the Champions League final on the horizon. That's because they were they were doing that thing where they were just like, we are we we've, we're title winners, so let's let, let's make sure we uh, we get to the the final of the Champions League. So the, the, there are mitigating circumstances where it doesn't happen. The, the seasons it has to happen, it generally does. So uh, mm. so that's what uh, that's what gives me confidence. Anyway, um, nervous about Bayern, Adam. Yeah, in that the champ the Champions League does weird things to Pep and <laughs> us as a club. And I w- I'd say I'm the same. This sounds this would be downplaying Bayern a bit. I've got about the same levels of apprehension as I did going into the second leg of the Leipzig game in that they're a decent side, um, unknown, you know, the ins and outs, the intricacies of how they play are unknown to, to certainly to me and uh, uh, us as uh, largely as a, you know, a club facing each other. We don't know the ins and outs of each other. Uh, we looked okay in the storm-ridden 12 minutes in pre-season against them earlier in the season, if, if you allow me that. Um, I've forgotten that happened. Yeah, we, we, we got in behind a few times, I can confirm, at three o'clock in the morning after several storm delays and waiting up on a dodgy stream wondering why what was going on with my life. But I think Why why were you watching that? It's early, it was early it's Holland, Holland it? debut, wasn't it? So that's the pulling power that the man has. <laughs> Um, for me to be huddled up in bed uh, at three o'clock in the morning. Um, so going off that and kind of knowing what the Champions League does to us, I'm quietly confident, but absolutely not um, shouting about it from the rooftops. They've got players who can hurt us. They've got returning players who can hurt us and will probably want to hurt us and prove a point. So there's that element narrative. That's what I say about City when there's a narrative, an external kind of, it's not just clinical, go and beat this team then weird stuff happens and that's what I'm expecting. Weird yeah. stuff happening. Uh, I don't expect that because, I mean, there is there is the potential for this to be a cracking game, Paul, um, because, again, Bayern aren't going to come at City. And, well, I mean, I'd say they're not. I'm, I'm assuming Tuchel isn't going to come along and, and say, right, we're going to sit back and defend and try and get a nil-nil to take back to Germany. Um so assuming he doesn't do that, it's like there'll be lots of space. We've got two teams that can exploit the space. It should be a cracking game. Yeah, it should be quite open, um, and you know they've got got so many players who can um, can hurt you on the attack. You know, I, I'm looking forward to seeing Sane um, play, just because he's uh, just one of those players that you you think, don't you? If he'd have stayed at City, if it worked out at City, you know, if he'd not you know fallen out of favour, you know, could he be like one of the best wingers, uh, you know, in the in recent history? Because he's definitely got the tools to do it, hasn't he? Um, um, but he just seems to have kind of lost his way a little bit at, at Bayern. It's, it's not just Sané who's who's a threat. You know, it's, it's, they've got Goretzka, haven't they? Or Coburn, Muller as well. 
and Kimmich is always a player that I've I've, I've loved to mm-hmm. to watch. So he's, it, you know, there are problems all over the pitch for for Bayern uh, for, for City in Bayern's team. But if City play the way that they, you know, keep this form, then it should be a they probably just scrape through. But you know, it could be a mad one. It could be like that Spurs tie, you know, where it ends oh, up being. Uh, sorry, <laughs> that's, that's the, the weird stuff. The Champions League, didn't yeah. I? Yeah. yeah, yeah, please. Or oh, the Monaco game. Can't remember. Oh, that. See, um, that's yeah. the weird stuff. Yeah. <laughs> see, and I agree with you, Adam. That there, there is this. Whenever there is a bit of a, a narrative outside of the game, sometimes it does have an impact. And I think Tuchel brings that um, in spades, doesn't he? You know that that Champions League final. You know, it just. You see, I, I didn't go to. I was watching it at home, and I was just from the moment I saw Tuchel in his pre like um, his interview before the match, I thought, you know, they're really calm here, and he really fancies it. And and Pep's, you know, a bit edgy and kind of a bit fidgety. And I just thought, right, they, they've they've gone beat, you know, quite well, got beat by the team selection, basically. Um, but I just think you know that'll be in that'll be in Pep's mind, you know, maybe in Tuchel's mind. So. That's another very interesting kind of subplot to this. Um, yeah. They've just kind of got to try and block that out, I guess. Yes. Get a dollop of City nostalgia every Monday. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Is that worrying you, Adam? Because yeah. if it is, I've got a little bit of um, medicine for that worry. Okay. Um, because uh, the I love three... this therapy session. Yeah. Well, the, the, the three times... every week, every week, the three times that that Tuchel beat City as Chelsea manager. The first one mm. was that FA Cup semi final, uh, yeah. where City's team selection was all over the place because of the the other games going on that week. They had the the League Cup final the week before. Um, I can't remember the Champions League tie they had, but they had a Champions League tie around it as well. Mm. And it was obvious the semi-final was the game that that Guardiola would try and use the leeway in, and he used it yeah. and they lost. So that's strike that one off, chalk that one off yeah. to experience. Uh, the then in the league game, they already knew that they were facing each other in the Champions League final. Yeah, and there was City already knew that they were about to be crowned champions. I think they needed yeah. three points, and I think they, I think it happened in the midweek afterwards. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but again, the team selection was a bit mad just because of, of Champions League focus and not giving too yeah. much away. And then the Champions League final, once again, team selection was a bit <laughs> mad. So every single time that, that Guardiola has lost to Tuchel has been yeah. partly of his own making because of the circumstances of the team selection. The two times yeah. that he faced Tuchel last season, they beat them and they beat them quite comfortably. Mm-hmm. I'll tell. How do you know that the team selection is not going to be a bit mad? <laughs> See, I don't <laughs> know that. <laughs> but yeah, it, I, that's what. That's the kind of. It seems a bit daft. When, well, like, or like obvious when I say if City play their best team with no distractions, I'm convinced would be any team on the planet if we play to our strengths. But there's Except narratives. Wigan. Well, yeah, of course, Wigan. Yeah, let, let's not mention that. But I just think. <laughs> The Champions League does daft things to that team selection, and uh, I understand last time we had, like you mentioned, the PSG semi-final either side of the Chelsea games and stuff last time, uh, which we've not got in. Like the Bayern game is the sole focus, and we're playing to a Tuchel side where they are the main focus. So hopefully, it goes with the team that's in form and the team that knows how to do a job, regardless of the outside noise. Yeah, 
Um, just in terms of what Paul says about uh, the potential for it to be open attacking play, mm. um, City have lost those games generally in the past. You think Monaco, Liverpool, Tottenham, Real Madrid mm. last season. <laughs> Weird um, things. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in many ways, as much as, as we all enjoy the open attacking games, mm. maybe you know turn it into a really tight Leipzig first leg and maybe bump yep. your uncle. I don't know. I think he'll go with that approach again. He per- per- purposely said after the Leipzig first leg that that was absolutely the game plan and made no apology of that and we're not used to Pep being conservative but is he learning from those scars from the Real Madrid game where we should have shut up shop and we didn't from the Tottenham games from the Liverpool game where we should have been a bit more mature in in our approach but I think I don't speak for all fans because I absolutely don't but you've you the fans want that expansive football but I think there is a time and a place for conservative structured you know organized football and I think this is going to be one of those cases and I wouldn't complain if we edge through rather yeah. than trying to go gunko and get hit at the other end get stung for that um, yeah Paul you mentioned uh, a few returning players as well obviously Cancelo is the big one uh, but Sane's part of the uh, of the Bayern team uh, do you know the last returning player to score at the Etihad and I'm not including Jaden Sancho because I don't think he ever played a senior competitive game for City no I was, I was going to say Sancho but yeah no I'm uh... No, go for it. Yeah, it's Kalechi and Acho uh, in that oh. in that mad six three again. Another mad game, uh, but that mad six <laughs> three with uh, Leicester over the uh, over Christmas last year, year before. Can't remember. All, all blends into one. But yeah, so there's uh, there's certainly scope for some yeah. players to uh, to be returning players and, and get the names on the score sheet. I can't. I don't think City have ever had a player that's currently on their books score against them while out on loan for somebody else. So that could be a first. Yeah, Pat- Patrick Roberts. Oh, did he? Did he? Yeah. 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 That dead rubber was it? Yeah. Or was it yeah. in the first first uh, match? I think it, I can't. I can't believe they let him play, but it was at it was at the Etihad. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Phil Foden was on the bench for that game. Uh, first time he was ever in a matchday squad. Mm-hmm. Right. Tozzi played as well, didn't he? Yeah. I think. Yeah. Top top facts there. Um, yeah. Now, before we all run out of steam here, let's uh, let's get a view from the uh, Bayern camp ahead of the game. Uh, I've been speaking to the journalist and Bayern fan Danny Kadina to find out more about their season so far. It's a bit of a hiccup, isn't it? Um, they just, uh, with the whole Nagelsmann saga just kind of coming to an end and Tuchel already suffering his first big major setback with uh, Bayern being kicked out of the DFB Pokal. Um, I'd say things are a bit rocky. Uh I reckon the timing for the Nagelsmann thing was the worst thing possible because it happened just before the international break or during the international break, just before the Man City game, uh, before the Cup and before the Dortmund game, which Bayern eventually won. But it does feel that things are very, very, I don't know, complicated is a very polite way to put it, but it does feel like it's a bit hectic uh, within the club at this moment. Yeah. Um, what what was the general reaction to the Nagelsmann uh, sacking? Because it's, it, it seems like, it seemed from the outside like quite a rash decision. It was shock. I think what happened in the end, they were caught a bit off guard because what happens in the end, and the so goes the story, is that uh, the info was leaked and obviously the press jumped on it. So the club had to like kind of react more than control what they usually do, which is, you know, like be on top of things. So they basically had to adapt, like get a hold of, of Nuggets one way or the other. Um, he was off skiing. So, you know, big faux pas on his end. Uh, it's interesting <laughs> how skiing has become so sort of like a topic for Bayern's season kind of going down, isn't it? Um, but um, at the same time, like, yeah, they couldn't get a hold of him. They had to call his agents or his agency, representation agency. And then they kind of got a hold of him. But by then, Nagelsmann had already heard the news uh, from social media, uh, as did some players, more, most famously Joao Cancelo, 
who found out, uh, you know, just after the Portugal match, he was being asked about the, you know, Thomas Tuchel taking over Bayern, and he was fully caught off on his flat foot. So, uh, yeah, gives you an idea of how little Bayern had uh, a control over the spin on the story, and it just felt inside. I mean, inside the club and outside of the club, very, very rash and very uh, unexpected, most than anything. Yeah, that, I mean, that doesn't seem like Bayern Munich. It, it yeah. seems like something's a bit odd there. Yeah, 100%. So it definitely feels like, uh, well, we have to keep in mind, Nagelsmann did bring up before the Leverkusen game, which is the game just before the international break, uh, this whole story about there being a mole in the team and someone like leaking his tactics, his strategies and all that. And that sort of like kind of kick-started this internal, um, well, I wouldn't say crusade, but definitely it did feel like they were looking for someone or something uh, to make some sense out of. Uh, and that sort of, you add that to the fact that Nagelsmann was already being taught it to be so, uh, sacked, that Tuchel had already moved to Munich some weeks prior with his family and all. Um, it did feel like it was sort of like a storm kind of brewing, but it was the sort of thing they were planning on doing uh, towards the end of the season more than, than anything else. Uh, then, you know, like I said, the press uh, jumps onto the story as they would, which is, you know, normal. Uh, and they break the story and then Bayern just have to adjust to the fact that, hey, it is what it is. And yeah, it's a very, very un-Bayern-like of, of Bayern to you know proceed this way. Yeah. Um, how's, how's Tuchel been doing? Because, uh, I mean, obviously you mentioned the, the cup exit um, uh, in, in the midweek. Um, like it's, it feels like there's a lot of City fans who are quite nervous about the fact that Thomas Tuchel has taken over, um, just purely because of the, the, the times he beat City with, uh, with Chelsea. Um, is there a feeling that he's changed much so far? Um, I mean, it's he only had one training session before the Dortmund game in the weekend, which they just you know thrashed uh, Dortmund four two. It's a three 0 by half hour mark, which is insane. Everybody thought this game was going to be you know very very tight, very very you know um, walking on eggshells for Bayern since you know everything had been you know happening. It was international break. Dortmund had had a fantastic form throughout twenty twenty three, but uh, I don't know. Things have kind of like settled down a little bit, and there's starting to be a little bit of a debate on what the team is going to look like um, and what the relationship is with the players at the moment. So there's still a lot of work in progress uh, going down right now. There's still a lot of things being, you know, uh, tinkered and adjusted. Uh, But the feeling is that Bayern, especially after the cup exit, do have this huge amount to hike. Uh, Tuchel, I mean, don't get me wrong, he's a great coach, but he's also very, you know, strong personality, strong character, you know, even more than the Nagelsmann himself, who was already sort of like, they used to refer to this uh, in Germany and it's sort of like a peacock in the dressing room in the sense that he attracted a lot of attention uh, and therefore, you know, had his, a bit of an ego clash with some of the players, namely Thomas Müller, one of the main ones there, Neuer as well. Um, so, yeah, Tuchel's kind of been like, you know, simmering the sense of, of uh, uncertainty. But, yeah, exiting the cup in the quarterfinals uh, in your second game in charge definitely doesn't send that or, you know, shows that sort of like vibe you're aiming for there. Yeah. Um, what was the reaction like to, to draw in City? Because um, it, it feels like, uh, well, it feels like the tie of the round uh, to start with. Uh, but on top of that, there, there's, I, I know the feeling from City fans is, is, is that there's a mixture of kind of bring it on, but also, you know, we could have had an easier draw here. Oh, 100%. Same on this side. I think uh, similar to what happened with PSG, that everybody was like really, you know, amped up and yes, we're going to beat PSG. But at the same time, well, maybe they can beat us. So uh, I think it's a very replicable situation there. Uh, I think it's two big clubs that both aim really high in the Champions League nowadays. They're both candidates to win this thing, uh, along with Real Madrid of all teams, who happen to be the likely uh, contender in the semifinals, or Chelsea. So four big teams basically fighting for one spot. I think that's sort of like the, the final four vibe that's been giving off of this Champions League uh, leg. 
um, uh, on that side of the qualifications. But also, I, I think it's more that, that there's a lot of respect on what uh, the other team brings to the table. Um, there's a lot of wariness because we also have Guardiola, who's a former Bayern coach, he's been in the city for ages already, but they know very well what he's capable of. Uh, but they also know sort of that he kind of lacks certain things sometimes when it comes to these these uh, instances in the tournaments that he sometimes like t over tinkers and over fiddles, uh, fidgets a little bit with, uh, with things. Uh, and ends up costing um, the team qualification. We spoke about that last time, actually, that you know, his experience with Bayern was a bit bittersweet in that regard. Um, and uh, I don't know. I think it's, it's, there's a lot of expectation. There's a lot of nerves. But also, like you said, this bring-it-on attitude because you know, if you're a contender, these are the sort of games you should be you know, winning. And uh, that's sort of what the team seems to be aiming for. Yeah. Um, have you got any indication of what uh, what Tuchel might do for this game? Given, like, obviously, if it was Nagelsmann, you'd probably have a better idea of how he might approach it. But given the short time that, that Tuchel's had, have you got any indication of what he might uh, what he might try? Well, he tried against Dortmund, and I, I have a hunch he's going to go for something similar, which is to go back to the 4-2-3-1 formation that worked so well for Bayern. He's looking for a bit more stability uh, in the defense, uh, which was kind of lacking with Nagelsmann. Like, you could see it against PSG, even, even though Bayern won, that was, you know, you could be easily counterattacked. I think that's sort of like the main focus of Nagelsmann right now, that uh, protecting the, the rear more than anything. So going back to four... Uh, in the back, he'll probably go out again with Pavard, who had a decent outing against Dortmund. Uh, Davies on the right. Uh, I reckon Upamecano, who's been playing fantastically well, he scored against the, well, the opening goal, the only Bayern goal against Freiburg, actually. Uh, and De Ligt, who's just become like a beast, really, like when it comes to you know organizing the defense and going up ahead. Uh, and then just using the best versions of Goretzka and Kimmich he can muster up, uh, bring in Musiala and Neuer one way or another. And he's kind of like slowly revived Leroy Sané back into a very decent shape, I find. And that is sort of sort of what he's banking on, I reckon. I don't know what's going to happen if Chopo Moting is going to make it in the end. He was he had a bit of uh, you know back problems uh, for the Dortmund game. He's still kind of recovering 100% for that. But it does give me the the, the vibe that um, he it's it's up front really where the big doubts are and doubts in the sense that you do have a lot of talent at your disposal and it's not very clear if Sadio Mane is going to make the cut for the starting team if it's going to be Chopo Moting regardless of the injuries. If Gnabry's going to make it, if Leroy Sainz is going to play, if Coleman's going to play. So there's a lot of skepticism there, but it's, I think, mainly, mainly focused on what can I do in the defense to prevent City from just, you know, overrunning me, especially with, you know, you know who, who's up front. Yeah. Um, I, the couple of players that uh, that we have to talk about as well. Uh, you mentioned one of them there in Leroy Sane. Uh, yeah. City fans know him uh, very well. In fact, there's there's a good portion of City fans who, uh, you know, would, would say, you know, bring him home. The, the sort that, that really wants him back in the team for the explosive pace and, and dynamism he could offer on the, uh, the left-hand side that occasionally City have missed. Um, how's he doing at the moment? Because there was there was talk that uh, that Bayern might be might be thinking of letting him go if his uh, if his form didn't improve. Well, um, yeah, he's one of the two main candidates to be on that list, I'd say. But I think with recent uh, the way things have evolved a little bit, um, first of all, Tuchel kind of is taking him under his wing because he's had sort of like a form dip, and that's had like a you know visible effect on his on his mood uh, and the way he's uh, approaching hell life, I'd say. Um, uh, and I mean, he had a really good outing in Stortmund. He's kind of back, like you see, he's very motivated again. I, and that's always a good sign. So I reckon he's going to get a starting spot right off the bat with, uh, Tuchel. So I would say positive evolve, uh, evolution there with him. Um, but yeah, it's been a rocky season for him regardless. Uh, and yeah, he was touted along with Gnabry, who I would say is definitely number one candidate to leave the club right now because of his wage, because of what he's done this season, the way he's been conducting himself a little bit. Uh, but yeah, long story short, Gnabry, um, Sane seems to be, uh, yeah, 
number one option for the right side. Yeah, um, and obviously the elephant in the room here is uh, Joao Cancelo, who, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, left City really unexpectedly at the end of the transfer window. Um, he's He's been in and out of the team, has he? Is he likely to play, do you think? He might, he might. I honestly think it boils down to uh, a very last-minute decision from, from Tuchel and what happens in training, basically, because Pavard has been playing really well, which gives him, obviously, sort of like an edge. He does feel a bit annoyed because Pavard's issue with Bayern is that he wants to play a centre-back, not full-back. Um, and, yeah, so there's that big sort of, like, discussion, macro discussion, what to do with him uh, at the end of the season and whether or not the Barca interest is actually feasible, given the, that they want to go for Messi and if they have the money for him or whatnot. Uh, and also that Cancelo left the game, uh, the, the Dortmund game, visibly upset. Like you know, in Germany after the match, players walk up to the to the to the state to the to the stands and they start celebrating with the, with the fans. Um, and Cancelo just went straight to the locker room. So definitely, there's a bit of that uh, I don't know, feeling of did I make the right move leaving City? That sort of like not getting the opportunity he was I reckon probably promised. Um, he would get, and I don't know, he just seems to be stuck in a position now where it's Pavard, it's Cancelo, it's Mizrawi, and it's Stanisic all fighting for minutes in the same position, which is ridiculous. Four players for a fullback position is is a lot to ask, I reckon. Yeah. Um, Danny, just uh, before we let you go, um, let's. Uh, how, how do you see this game going? Well, so we, we've got the charity bet coming up a bit later on in the show. Um, I'll get a score prediction from you shortly, but how do you see the first leg going? Because the fact that it's at the Etihad and the fact that it's, you know, that there's no away goals anymore, it, it could be quite a tight game, do you think? Oh, 100%. I think Bayern are going to rely heavily on set pieces more than anything. They're going to be a bit more coy. Uh, than they would if they'd be playing in Munich. Um, having said that, I don't see them just you know falling back and letting City do their thing. Um, I think they will focus mainly on not conceding. Having said that, I reckon they would uh, build something interesting, especially if Sané is back in shape and he's been you know very very let's call it like you know avid to prove himself again. Uh, Coleman's been great this season as well, so there's a bit of explosion there. Uh, and Musiala, who is always you know up for a good show, so I think those three combined, maybe with Thomas Müller coming in later in the match or even starting the game, uh, it could be very very tricky for City to just like you know take or like you know go all on attack, knowing that you have these four guys on the pitch with you, plus Kimmich, plus Goretzka, who are also really you know known for going forward a little bit. Um, having said all that, I reckon this is going to be a very tight game, maybe even a draw for that matter. Yeah, so uh, what uh, what would you put your uh, your money on for a charity bet? What uh, what score would you go for? Ooh, uh, one all. You're listening to the Blue Moon podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. That was Danny Cadena looking ahead to the Bayern Munich game on Tuesday. Uh, charity bet time now. We're on £705 for the charity bet this season so far. William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single and the winnings are going to the Man City Fans Food Bank support group. Uh, we heard already from uh, Sam that he's gone for a 2-0 City win um, against Southampton. That's 5-1 to one and £50 if he's right. Uh, Adam, what are you having for this? I'm going to go for a scraped 1-0 City. Scraped 1-0 City is 13-2 to two and £65 if you're right, Paul. 3-0. 3-0, 7-1. Yeah, confident 3-0 uh, is 7-1 and uh, £70 if you're right. Uh, we heard from Danny that he's gone for a one all draw in the first leg against Bayern. Uh, that's 6-1 to one and £60. Adam? I'm going for a slight 2-1 advantage to City. Slight 2-1 advantage, 8-1 to one and uh, £80 if you're right. Paul, where are you going with this one? I know you wanted 1-1 one, one to start with, so uh, did, where, yeah, where did yeah, you go? cruelly snatched uh, from me. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to go 2-2, two, two, set up a, a bit of a humdinger in the second leg. 
Well, if it yeah. happens, it's 12 to 1 and £120 if you are right. Uh, remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, take a look at begambleaware.org. We're going to squeeze in a quick listener question to finish. Uh, get in touch for next week at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter. You can email us as well through the website. Just go to bluemoonpodcast.com, fill out the form there and get it sent across. It comes from Tajana Blazevska on the emails, uh, who says, Roderick is one of my favourite City players and I will defend him with my whole self-being whenever I see the slam about him online. We all know he's always been a bit underrated and disrespected. Rodri has put himself in a position a couple of times so far where he rattles or is rattled by how opposition teams play and people call him salty. How do you feel about it? I hate it when our players put themselves in these positions because we know it doesn't help with how he's talked about on places like TalkSport or Sky and it doesn't help with player and team of the year awards. Um, I mean, in many ways, Paul, I would argue that Rodri had uh, the greatest of international breaks because not only did he rattle the entire Arsenal fan base. <laughs> he, he, he rattled the entirety of Scotland as well. Yeah, a, a whole country. I mean, that takes. Some doing, it? You know, he's he's not. You know, he's sort of near Boris Johnson at the moment, isn't he? You know, almost on a par with uh, hated figures um, in Scotland. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. I mean, I, I couldn't understand uh, Tijana's point, but purely from a journalistic point of view, I thought it was hilarious. You know, and you know, I, I just quite want to see players mm. you know telling the truth or you know saying saying what they feel you know we don't we don't want like robots to be speaking into the microphones after after matches and you know if you if you feel that way then just say it you know yeah. i mean he does have a, he has a history of this i remember the uh the do you remember the leicester game at uh, the etihad where uh leicester won five two yeah. um and city just didn't turn up and rodri's yeah. post-match interview was just crazy because he, he yeah. was just saying well they didn't really do anything it's like they, they scored five goals mate yeah <laughs> scoreboard says otherwise yeah yeah, yeah. 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 no f- fair play to him i kind of um you know i've like I say, I just you know, quite like players having personalities, and you know, I just think he's um, yeah, it's quite nice, quite refreshing to see. I, I must admit, when I saw saw people were tweeting about it, I, I, I looked, I thought, oh, you know, maybe this has been lost in translation or someone's paraphrasing. So I watched the actual clip of the interview. I think it was a via play, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and he actually said the words rubbish, and I went, oh my god, <laughs> uh, it's hilarious. Um, um, so yeah, uh, I thought I found it quite funny, um, but yeah. It will spark debate, won't it? But I think someone is in—he's an intelligent guy, isn't he, Rodri? You know, everyone, I think he's, yeah. I think he speaks really well. I th- I'm, I'm always—I'm oh, I'm interested in what he says. Yeah, mm. I've, I interviewed him a couple of seasons ago, and he was—he's really, really clever, he's really smart, and he—he he, he can see he's one of these guys that'll probably end up going, end up becoming a, you know, like a director of football or something after mm. he's after he's retired. You know, someone like Gerard Piquet, that kind yeah. of. He's, he's a clever guy and he's, he's very um, very measured and you know, if he does if he says something it's for reasons because he you know because he feels it so um, but yeah I think he'll see through all the the furore that's um, you know that he, that he calls for, yeah. for for you know twelve hours or fourteen or you know twenty four hours I mean he's not on social media anyway is he Rodri I don't think I think he purposefully ignores that kind of thing or doesn't tweet much so I don't think he'll be paying much attention to the to the um uh, to the backlash for it yeah adam how about you as a as, as the fan on the panel mm. um like does it bother you the way that that he gets talked because i mean there was there, there was a, a good segment on uh talk sport i heard it myself where uh, it was uh, i cannot believe what rodri's saying i can't like i can't believe how how he's how disrespect again back to that disrespectful thing um 
does, does it bother you as a fan or is it just kind of noise in the background, that sort of stuff? You can tune it, it out. It doesn't bother me personally, but I can see why people, because obviously a player who's representing you and then they're on international duty, uh, they're representing you all the time then, aren't they, regardless of if it's a City match or not. So I can see why people don't want him to get involved with that, but I think he's wise enough to know what he's doing. Uh, I don't think there'll be too much impact on any Team of the Year awards that he may or may not receive because of his outbursts. But it's weird that someone so calm and collective can occasionally get <laughs> rattled. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Like me, though. Um, <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he, he does this. He, he does these interviews uh, occasionally, though, Adam. Um, do you, like you said, though, you don't think it affects his uh, Team of the Year and uh, Player of the, of the Season, all that sort of nominations. It is the players that are voting for that. Um, so if he goes around upsetting people. True. The, the Aston Villa dressing room aren't going to... Uh... And probably the United one aren't going to be voting for him now, are they, with uh, McTominay and McGinn? So, actually, yeah, he's absolutely alienated his, his chances of winning any of that, actually. Who knew Scotland had such an influence? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Scotland's player of the year is definitely not Rodri. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, well, that brings us to an end for this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks also to my guests for this one, Adam Carter. A pleasure. And Paul Hurst. Thank you. Uh, stay tuned for a clip of this week's Patreon bonus episode as Maka is talking us through his five choices of the games that made me. I'll see you next week. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. That was the day. If there was any doubt, that just kind of secured everything for me. From then on, I was like, I I was a City fan and there was just absolutely no doubt about it. And then I could feel my dad kind of changing. (laughs) (laughs) So my dad had no problem with me loving City because he was loving it just as much. My dad was on United Books, got released when he was about 16. And if you asked him before he started taking him to Main Road, he would have said he was, he was a United fan. But then I remember him saying kind of vividly to my mum, like, when he took me to Old Trafford, it just wasn't how he remembered it. He kind of justified it to himself like like that. I mean, it was easy, it's easy for me because I wasn't kind of, I hadn't made a proper decision. I was only a kid. But then obviously my dad still gets stick, Purple Pete. Uh, <laughs> 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 that's a brilliant fam- name <laughs> <laughs> of family and my friends but I think now now he's definitely been a City fan longer than he's been a United fan but yeah when people go oh you should never change your clubs I go oh. 99.9% of the time I would I would agree but um, I'm going to make it section for my dad you can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast And join us again next time for another episode.